0: If you have a hard copy of the Bible and you want to open to where we're going to be this morning, we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians at the end of chapter 3, beginning of chapter 4. Here's one of the neat features. If you just downloaded that new Emmaus Baptist Church app on your smartphone, one of the buttons in the Emmaus app is access to a Bible. So if you have our smartphone app downloaded, you have immediate access to the the Bible and you can open that up if, if that's a way that you would want to, uh, to access what's going on. Once again, 1 Thessalonians this morning. We're going to be looking at the end of chapter 3 and the beginning of chapter 4. One of the things I want to be very clear about at this point. So far this morning, we've talked about a website. We've celebrated a minister who's on staff here. We've made a challenge to give toward a building. We've showed you a new piece of technology with the smartphone app. What I'd like to do right now is to take those ideas that celebrate where God has brought us, that look ahead to what's coming next, and I would like to give you a theologically grounded, biblically-based reason for why we need to do more. So I'm going to be really clear. As we're looking ahead... We're not talking about doing more websites. We're not talking about just building more buildings. We're not talking about just hiring more staff. We need to know when God calls us to do more. The God who has brought us to this point is the God who will lead us forward. And we need to have a basis for what it means to do more and to do more better. That that is what God is calling us to do. If you have access to a bulletin, on the back of that are some sermon notes that you can look at as we go through this this morning, but know that we're thinking, God, what are you calling us to do? How are you calling us as a church, as families, as individuals, to do more and to do more better? All right, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, starting in verse 11. Paul says, now may our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you. And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people, just as we also do for you, so that he may establish your hearts without blame in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all the saints. And then in chapter 4 it says, Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction, As to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Let's pray together as we get ready to study this passage. Father, I pray that as we come to this point of looking at this passage that you've inspired, that you've given to us through your scripture, God, that we are not listening to some man-made challenge. We're not listening to one person's opinion. God, that we would not be distracted by some of these other things we've talked about. God, we want these other things we've talked about and what we're gonna do in the future to be driven by what your word says and by how your spirit works in us and among us. So God, help us to focus our hearts and minds on this passage to see what you're telling us as individuals and as families in the church about the way that we should live our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what you have going on here in the book of 1 Thessalonians is a man named Paul had gone to the city called Thessalonica, and he had established the church there, but he was forced to leave the city. He essentially got kicked out of town. But he loved the people so much that he sent a man named Timothy back to check on the church, to make sure that they were standing strong. Timothy comes back to Paul and says, guess what? That church is still doing really well. And what we get in 1 Thessalonians is Paul's joy, his response to how well the church is doing. And there are really three things that kind of stand out. I want to show you some verses in 1 Thessalonians 3 that point to this. 1 Thessalonians 3, and you're going to have to scroll up in your phone or back up a little bit in your Bible. 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 7, Timothy reported back, For this reason, brethren, in all our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you through your faith. For now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. One of the things that Paul heard is that these people had great faith. They had been through some difficult times, but they had confidence in the Lord. Verse 12, Paul says, May the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another. So not only did they have faith, but they had love. They had love for one another within their church community, and they had love for the community around them. Even though they had been opposed for their faith, even though they had been attacked, they were loved And they loved the community around them. So they had faith, they had love. Verse 13, it says, So that he may establish your hearts without blame in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all the saints. So the other thing they were doing is they were pursuing holiness, knowing that one day they would stand before the Lord. Faith, they had confidence in the Lord. Love, They cared about the church and the world around them. Holiness, they were pursuing lives where they knew they could stand before the Lord in all authenticity, authenticity, knowing their lives had been transformed. As a church, Emmaus has been through some difficult situations, and we will go through difficult situations in the future. Your family has been through difficult situations, and you will go through difficult situations in the future. Some of those pegs that you can hold on to, do I have faith? Am I a loving person? Am I pursuing holiness in my life? Sometimes we need to just break it down to some very basic things. Do I trust the Lord? Do I love those around me? And am I pursuing a life in which I know I can stand before the Lord because he is transforming my life? I'm pursuing holiness. And so Paul hears that this church has been doing these things. So you might think that Paul would say, Hey guys, nice job. You've achieved everything you need to do. I'm going to some other places. Hope things go well with you. Except that's not what he says. Look at what he says in chapter 4, verse 1. He says, Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as, you ha- as, you, sorry, as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. Now this verse begins with the word finally, which is every church member's nightmare and every pastor's lie. Paul has two chapters left at this point when he says finally. So when you hear the pastor say finally, you know that that does not really mean finally. That just means we're transitioning to whatever the next point is. So that word means more like therefore and now. It doesn't mean that Paul's almost finished sometimes uh after i get finished preaching i go back and listen i realized about halfway through i said and now we're going to wrap up with this which means we're about halfway through and now we're going to wrap up with this so paul doesn't mean finally he just means he's transitioning to a new point that's connected to the point before and he does four things and these are on your notes there he does four things in this passage the first is he challenges them there's a word there two words there at the beginning he says we request and exhort you these are words where Paul, because he knows these people, because he's related to them related to them in Christ, not biologically, but he's related to them in Christ, he's able to come and challenge them. The reality is we need people in our lives who are challenging us to continue, who are saying, yes, the Lord has brought you to this point, and yes, I'm challenging you to continue forward. You need teachers like that in your life. You need managers at work. You need coaches. You need family members. You need pastors. One of the things I want to do as a pastor is to challenge us. If we're not being challenged, it says, you know what, we've really done enough. We've kind of reached our point. We're probably done with what we need to do. I hope that's not true. I hope we're challenging one another to say we've come this far. Let's continue. Let's keep moving forward. And so Paul challenges them. But then number two, he challenges them in the Lord Jesus. Notice where it says, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus. Paul's authority with them to challenge them is only because he's related to them in Christ and only because his goals for them are related to the Lord Jesus. He's not coming with a man-made challenge. He's not coming saying, hey, do these things so I'll be a more popular missionary. He says, my challenge for you is in the Lord. If I give us any challenge that means anything, it has to be grounded in who the Lord is, his kingdom, his mission, his who he is worthy of all worship. And so that is where our challenge is. So he challenges them in the Lord Jesus, number three, on the basis of past foundations. It says, we challenge you, or we exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God. What Paul is saying is that he's building on what he's already done with them. It says earlier in 1 Thessalonians that Paul addressed them as a father would his children or as a mother would her children. He had this foundation. He had this relationship with them. So he was able to come and challenge them in the Lord Jesus on the basis of what he had already told them, on what he had already said was important. And then number four, he challenges them to do more better. Now for a guy who's obsessed with grammar, I know do more better sounds a little strange. It's actually the title of a new book that's come out recently about Christian productivity and how we do things in our life, but do more better or do mo better as uh, I wanted to write on the notes, but I thought we'd come across wrong. So uh, do more better. It says at the end of verse four, uh, sorry, he says at the end of verse one there that you excel still more. This word for excel still more is actually two words in the Greek language that are sort of piled up one one another. The word excel is the word for abound or increase, and then there's a word there that says, and do that even more. In other words, you come to this point, now I'm challenging you to excel still more, to abound still more, to do more. You have not reached the end of where the Lord wants to take you. But there's a danger when you hear do more better. And it's not just the way your ears hear it, it's the way your heart hears it. Because when you hear do more better, it can sound like the pastor's telling us we need to do more in order to impress the Lord or in order to impress those around us. That is not the challenge. We are not saying we need to do more as a church in order to impress the Lord or impress others. In fact, That's the wrong way to go about it. If you're here this morning and you're here out of respect for family or you're curious about the Lord but you don't consider yourself a Christian, I want to be very careful at this point because you may have an idea about religion that if I do more religious things or I attend church more or I read my Bible more or I do these good things, then I'll impress the Lord and he'll be able to receive me. That's not what we're talking about. I want you to see some verses. Ephesians chapter two, verses eight through 10. These are the foundation. It says in Ephesians two, verse eight, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. The way that we come into relationship with God is not by doing more than, It's by realizing that he has done everything for us. And we receive that on the basis of faith. There is nothing you can do to impress the Lord and to make him love you and receive you. He has done all of that for you. Our response to him is to say, Lord, you have done for me what I could never do for myself. And I receive that. We are not saved by works. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. That is where our salvation is found. But then we have verse 10. Paul says we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared so that we God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So we are not saved by works, but we are saved for works. We do more Not in order to make God love us, but because we've experienced the love of God in a way that we cannot explain or ever pay back. But we want our lives to be lived for Him because we've experienced His love. We don't want to get those reversed because then we find ourselves trying to prove ourselves to the Lord. I want my my kids to do great things in life not to impress me, but because they feel loved and set free to do those things. They don't do those things to make me love them. I already love them because they're my kids. I just want to see them do more, see them do more better, see them grow into who God has created them to be. There's a second danger that's on your notes here that comes with this. Another danger we run into is the appeal of the new and next. When you hear a young pastor say we should do more, Those of you who have a lot more wisdom than I do begin to panic because it sounds like we're just going to run after whatever's new, whatever next. We're just going to constantly chase new programs, new ideas. This is always what we're going to be about. We want to be very cautious about that because we're going to find out in just a few minutes that that's not exactly what we mean by do more. It's not chase whatever's new or next. There's more to it than that. The next thing is that we would grow tired or just become busy. When you show up at a church and you hear someone say, "We're going to do more," what that sounds like is my schedule is going to get even more crowded. <laughs> I don't have time for life right now, and now the pastor's telling me we're going to do more, which means I'm going to have to attend more activities. I'm going to have to find room on my schedule for more things. Here's the reality, though: as we understand what it means to do more better, we will actually do more better as we do less. This is one of those realities of church life and spiritual life that sets us free so much. That what God is calling us to do in the future is not to fill up our calendars with more activities and more things to do. It's that we're able to do more better as we do less. And we say, God, what have you called me to do? What can we focus on that's going to lead people to worship God, that's going to lead people to know that transformation in their lives? And so when you hear me say our challenge is to do more better. My challenge for you is not that you become busier. Many of you cannot become busier. You're, you're totally maxed out. And the high school and college students who think they're as busy as they'll ever get, well, you have no idea. It actually gets much worse. You get much, much busier. More things get piled on, all these things. This is not a call this morning to be busier. This is a call to let our lives ca- count for what the Lord is calling us toward. So, what's the danger of not doing more? On your notes, there's a couple of points here. What's the danger of not doing more? If we give up and we say we've reached the end, the stories we tell and the methods that we apply are always going to be the stories of yesterday. I won't name any names at this point, but have you ever been around someone who told really exciting stories of things that they've done and you thought, man, that's amazing? And then you realize that all of their stories were 20 or 30 years in the past. And you're like, oh, well, that would have been a cool story if it was, you know, last year or or the year before. But all the stories they tell are in the past. There's no current stories. This is the reality for churches if we're not careful. All the stories we have to tell will be stories from the first, first 30 years of Emmaus. And there'll be nothing to tell right now or nothing to tell for the future. Let's not be a church where the only stories we have to tell are mission trips for 10 years ago or ministry projects from 15 years ago. Those matter. Hear me say as clearly as I can, we stand on the shoulders of those who have been faithful in this place for 30 years to bring this church family to this point. But God, help us if that's the only stories we have to tell are the stories from the past. We need things of how the Lord is leading us now and how he's leading us in the future and what he wants to do through us. And so if we're not careful, we'll just tell the old stories. This cuts into what kind of psalms we've seen at Emmaus. Do we sing the old psalms or the new psalms? Yes, we've seen both. We've seen the old old psalms because those are the foundation of how God has worked. We've seen the new psalms because we hope that the Lord is moving in fresh ways and leading us in new directions. And so we need both of those. The next thing is that you run into the white fence post syndrome. If you're a leader at work, If you're involved in management, or you're involved in your company in some way, or you lead a group at school, this is a great illustration to use with the people you work with. If you want a white fence post, and I learned this illustration working under Dr. Uh, Chuck Kelly, who's the president of New Orleans Seminary, he would talk to us about this. If you want a white fence post, what do you have to do? You have to continue to paint that fence post white, because if you don't do that what happens you end up with a faded fence post you end up with a brown fence post how did you get that did you paint that fence post brown no you just neglected it and over time a white fence post is no longer a fence post the way you keep it white is you continue to paint it white the way we do more is we continue to say we have to stay on top of what the lord is calling us to do if we just start something and let it go That white fence post is turning brown. But if we will stay faithful day after day, week after week, year after year, the Lord will continue to lead us to do what he's called us to do. And related to that is the idea that for all of us, our natural inclination is to coast and to drift. Those of you who have coached sports teams or led musical groups know the reason a coach drives a team and the reason a leader drives an organization so hard is our natural inclination is usually not to work harder. Now, some of you are workaholics. You work harder no matter what. For the rest of us, our natural inclination is if someone is not challenging us to do more, we're just going to do less. We're just going to coast, and when you start to coast, you start to drift, and before you know it, you've drifted completely off course. Not because you aim to get off course, but just because you stop striving. What the Lord calls us is to continue to strive. Philippians, let me give you a verse on this. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to 16. It says there in Philippians 3, verses 12 to 16, not that I have already obtained this. This is a man named Paul talking. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, here's the phrase, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. And then it goes on at the end of this verse, and it says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And then it goes on from there, but that's the key point, is Paul says, I'm not gonna just live in what's happened in the past, that's not my identity. I'm gonna continue to strive forward because if I know if I don't do that, I'm gonna end up coasting, and I'm gonna end up drifting off course. All right, here's the question, I'm gonna say something that you're not gonna like. We're gonna wrap up with this. Okay, which means we have about 10 minutes left probably but uh, here's the question when you hear me say on the basis of this verse let's do more better what do I actually mean by more if you're calling us Owen to do more better what do you actually mean by more I mean two things by that the first is is that we would continue in faith love and and holiness. So the first thing is that we would pursue faith, love, and holiness. Remember that those were the things that the Thessalonians had down. And Paul says, "I want you to, to abound more and more in that." You say, "Well, that's really simple." Yes, it's meant to be simple. Do you know how hard it is to pursue faith, love, and holiness? That's the most difficult thing we'll ever be called to. But that is what the Lord is calling. It. When I say, "Do more," do more faith, more love more holiness. Let those be the things that characterize us. And here's the second thing. When I say do more better, let's proclaim and display Jesus to a broken and hurting world. If we're going to do something more, let's not make more websites, let's not make more buildings, let's not make more apps, let's not hire more ministers before we get right that our main objective is to proclaim the hope of Jesus to a broken and hurting world. If we're going to do more, let's do that. And we do that on the basis of John chapter 14, verse 12. And I think, I don't have my bulletin in front of me, but I think that's printed on the back of your bulletin. If not, I intended it to. John chapter 14, verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus said, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And then look at this next phrase. And greater works than these will he do Because I am going to the Father. Jesus just told his disciples, his followers, that they would do greater works than he did. Do you understand on the surface of it how, for lack of a better word, preposterous that seems? Jesus raised the dead, walked on water, turned water to wine, came back from the dead himself. Exactly how do you do greater things than that? Well, it doesn't mean greater in kind in the sense that we are going to do things other than that, but it's greater in two different ways. In the extent, Jesus says he's sending the Holy Spirit so that all believers would be empowered and that we would go to all places. Jesus ministered in a very small geographic area during his time on earth. Greater will be greater spread, Because of all of his people being filled with the Holy Spirit and sent out. Also greater, in a very unique way, Jesus, during his life and ministry, pointed ahead to the cross and the resurrection of what he would do and how he brought that to completion. We are able to do the greater work of pointing back to the accomplished work of Christ on the cross and through the resurrection. And we are able to see people's lives transformed. We are able to see people saved as we point back to who Jesus is and what he has done for us. There are reports coming out of Russia right now, and they come out of other countries, but I've heard most recently the story out of Russia that things are happening, miracles are happening in these oppressed countries that match everything you see in the New Testament. But the believers in those countries, they will not use the word miracle to refer to these things happening. The only thing they'll use the word miracle to refer to is when someone turns to Christ for salvation, when someone is converted and becomes a follower of Jesus. They are seeing people healed miraculously. They're seeing incredible things happen that match these miracles that Jesus did, but they won't use the word miracle for that. They will only use it for when someone becomes a Christian, when they turn from sin and turn to Christ. The greater work, The more that God is calling us to do here at Emmaus is that we would see people's lives transformed by the gospel, that they would hear about Christ, that they would find hope, and that they would turn to him. I want to tell you about a moment. A couple of weeks ago in staff meeting, we were looking at the schedule. We were talking about some things related to our church family. And then Jim said, I want to share something with you all. And in staff meeting, Jim begins to share about some of the opportunities he's had to do ministry here at Emmaus, the ministry that we've done in the community. And Jim said, I'm thankful for those opportunities to do that ministry. But what I really want to see is not just our church doing good works at the community. I want to see people saved. And Jim said, I know that that begins with me and my heart and my calling. And it was a moment in our staff meeting when we all just turned together to pray that our church, that our lives would not be known for just doing good things in the community. We wouldn't be just known for what we've done in the past. We'd be known for proclaiming Jesus and seeing people turn to him in salvation. Emmaus is a church Where a lot of people have come together because maybe they've been hurt in another situation or they're just looking for a healthy place to come and try to be together as a church family. And that's a good thing. But we can do more. And the more we can do is only through the power of the Holy Spirit as we consistently share about Christ and people's lives are transformed by that. So, what do we do in response to this? At the bottom of your notes are about six things we do the little things well. Love, faith, holiness, and action. We celebrate God's faithfulness and power. We're going to continue to do that. We pay off the building. We trust one another as we find our way into this new season of ministry. I realize it's difficult when churches go through transitions. As good as this transition has been, it's still difficult to go through these changes and think about what's the Lord leading us to do. We trust one another. We say we're not perfect but we're in this together. We develop a long-range planning and prayer process to say, God, what does this do more better look like? But wh- what are you leading us to do? How do we do that together? And we ask God to do more in us and through us than ever before. Can you imagine being a part of a group of people who say, you know what, we're imperfect, we have our struggles, we have our challenges, but together, We're going to patiently work together to pursue faith, love, and holiness and to proclaim Christ so that people would find salvation and new life. During our response time today, we're going to do things a little bit differently. We're not going to have a song that we sing. We're not going to have a come forward time. This is a time for us to look in our own hearts at our own lives and to say, Lord, what do you want to do in and through me? How are you leading me to be involved? How are you leading me to pursue doing more? Would you bow your head with me? I want to lead us through a time of prayer. I know we've talked about a lot of different things today. We've introduced some new resources, but Let me just ask you right now that we could put those things aside just for a moment and that you would say, Lord, what are you calling me to do? Test your heart. Make sure that you're not trying to do those things to impress God. You're not trying to make up for your sins by being a more religious person. If you're here and you don't know about your standing before the Lord, I want you to know that He is taking care of everything for you to be made right with Him. He sent His Son to die for you and His Son rose again so that you do not have to be afraid of standing before Him. Your response right now is to trust in Christ. To turn from yourself and trust in the Lord for salvation. And if you've done that, ask yourself, do I really trust the Lord? Am I a person of faith? Am I pursuing a life of faith? Do I love others? If people look at your life, do they say that is a loving person who is caring about others around them? Are you pursuing holiness in your life? not perfection, we're not perfect, we have struggles, we have temptations, we have difficulties, but in your life, do you know that you're pursuing holiness such that you would stand before the Lord knowing you've lived your life for him? And then what is the Lord doing through your life so that other people would hear about Jesus and know what it means to be transformed by him? Who is God calling you to share with? Who Who is God put in your path? The Lord has done incredible things through this church family for the past 30 years. My fear is that we would rest in that and we would not move ahead. That we would do things just because we've always done them. God, set us free from that. Set us free to trust you and to work together in what you're calling us to do. God, we repent of any spirit that would have said, we're just going to do good things and not tell people about Jesus. God, we want to do good things and tell people about Jesus. God, thank you for a man like Jim who serves our church family and serves you and yet he comes to this stage in his life and all he wants to be known as is someone who shares Christ with others. God, let us follow that type of example. Let that be what we're known for. God, thank you for your love. Thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. Thank you for a church family that's committed to one another even through difficult circumstances who says we're not perfect but we're in this together. God, would you lead us into the next 30 years? Would you lead us into tomorrow? We have enough trouble with tomorrow much less 30 years from now. God, let us be faithful in what you're calling us to do as we seek after you. And God, thank you so much for the people who have been gathered here to worship this morning to seek after you. And Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.